I'd like to begin by acknowledging that we're on Aboriginal land, stolen land, um, whether we're in the US um, or we're in Australia, we're on stolen land and we pay um, respects to the traditional owners of the land and acknowledge that um, the fight for justice and land rights continues and that's a central part of the work we do in solidarity, central to our struggle. Today we have a, a very important session. The session is called Abortion and Women's Liberation in the US and we're very lucky to have Virginia Rodino from um, our sister group in the US, Marks 21. Um, via Zoom, and um, Virginia is also an abortion activist and the executive director of the Coalition of Labor Union for Women. Um, so uh, uh, Virginia is going to speak second. Um, before before that happens, uh, we're going to hear from Matilda Fay from Solidarity to give an introduction. Thanks, Matt, and thanks and thanks to Virginia for joining us as well. It's always really great to have international comrades. Makes us feel like we're part of a, a wider struggle for liberation all around the world. Just to start with, you know, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, it, it struck a chord around the world and here in Australia included. The right to abortion, which is essentially a right to basic health care and the right of pregnant people to make choices about their own bodies, was ripped away in multiple states in the blink of an eye after the Supreme Court overturned its 1972 ruling, which effectively plunges people back into a time where if you get pregnant and you don't want it, you can either afford to travel interstate or take matters into your own hands and attempt a dangerous illegal abortion outside of the medical system. This attack on women's rights and the rights of gender diverse people is clearly a symptom of a powerful right-wing grip on the court system, which is a threat to all working people. Time and time again, we see that when the right rises, women's rights, particularly those who are economically disadvantaged, are some of the first under attack. But there were incredible actions fighting back. We saw protests in the US that spread all over the world. And of course, the Democrat-led government has done little to nothing to defend abortion rights in the lead up to Roe versus Wade being overturned and has offered little more than platitudes ever since. But with a women's movement, as well as a growing climate of union activity in the US, you can see the ingredients to fight back. And in an issue where class is at the centre, where women's economic means can be the deciding factor in whether they can access abortion, where access to abortion has such a bearing upon our rights as workers, as socialists, we see class power as central to the fight. So I look forward to hearing a little bit more from, from Virginia about the how the movement in the US might start to claw back this right, which has been so, so brutally snatched from them. But before I hand over to her, I'm just going to frame the discussion a little bit in the Australian context. Just like in the US and all over the world, this sparked a wave of protest in Australia. While we didn't have the overturning of Roe versus Wade here, the issue is still keenly felt because of major limitations and access issues with abortion. It's decriminalised in most states around Australia, with WA still the exception, where laws are incredibly restrictive. Women have to face an ethics panel to get a legal abortion, and it was only properly decriminalised in South Australia last year. There are variations from state to state on how many weeks into a pregnancy a person can have an abortion, so anywhere between 16 to 24 weeks, with the exception of the ACT, where it's legal through the whole term of the pregnancy. So we still have this clearly arbitrary time limit, at which point the decision is taken out of the hands of the person carrying the fetus and into the hands of the state or a doctor or even a panel of doctors who act as the gatekeepers, assessing if your reasons are good enough. These gestational limits on late-term abortions go against the whole principle of the abortion rights movement, 
which is that as long as a person is carrying a fetus, that's their bodily autonomy and their right to choose. The cost of abortion in Australia is also extremely prohibitive, with abortions costing upwards of $300. And in rural areas, you'd be hard-pressed to get a GP appointment in the first place. There's a severe shortage of GPs. And then if you want an abortion, you're also at the mercy of some clinics being unwilling or not properly set up to administer it. The majority of abortions in, in most states are conducted by private practices, and not all doctors have necessarily undergone the training to conduct them. So on a brighter note, the ACT, um, just a couple of weeks ago, off, off the back of these rallies, the ACT Territory Government committed to investing $4.6 million over four years to remove abortion costs altogether. So from next year, ACT residents will have access to free medical and surgical abortions up to 16 weeks. And it goes hand in hand with, with other measures like a plan to provide free reversible contraceptives to people who get abortions. So if we can have that in Canberra, why not everywhere? We should. We should have free abortion all over the country. Health experts have made the case for it to be set up on the Medicare benefits schedule as, a, as an item that you can access all over Australia. You can, you can claim it like you would any other, any other medical, Medicare expense. But in order to get that, it's going to take a movement on the streets. While we don't currently have you know, a necessarily very consistent women's movement on the left, we have seen huge flashes of it in the past, past couple of years. Last year, we had the reports of sexual assault and harassment in Parliament, which sparked a moment of resistance all over the country, you know, in schools, in workplaces, everywhere. We saw thousands of women take to the streets to protest to sack accused rapist and Attorney General at the time, Christian Porter, and to boot out the sexist Liberal government with him. Women rallied around the country in March for justice actions, which saw massive numbers and very broad support, including from unions and from the Labor Party. And it was a moment of outrage, not just because, you know, those cases were so disgusting, uh, what, what these people had done, but because thousands of women around the country saw parallels to their own experiences of sexism in their daily lives, you know, in the workplace, and saw the Liberal government as the epitome of what they're up against every day. We had a group of high school students led by some of the people at this conference who led a brilliant rally through the city. They tackled the issue of sexism in schools but they also reached out to the union movement and, you know, tackled the issue of underfunding of women's services. We had speeches from some of the comrades in the, in the room today, some workers, you know, struggling to keep these, these services running after Liberal government cuts. So just all this is to say that off the back of that, we saw the right-wing Liberal government decimated at the federal election in a loss that really was swayed by the women's vote. So with Roe versus Wade, we've seen that, that power resurface on the streets in Australia. It's bubbling away and we need to look for opportunities to build it. Yes, Labor is historically better on women's rights and issues that affect working class people, but we can't leave it to working groups in Canberra offices to advance the fight for reproductive health care. The overturning of Roe versus Wade in the US shows just how vulnerable the rights working people have fought for truly are and that the gains we won in the streets must be defended in the streets. They can't be entrusted to the politicians of the day to uphold. The right to abortion is always vulnerable, always under attack from the right, because it goes right to the heart of capitalism's relationship with women's oppression. So we stand in solidarity with our, with our comrades in the US, and just as they fight to, to legalise it over in the US, we fight to make it you know, fully decriminalised, free and accessible to all. And, you know, just to add, why stop there? When we talk about reproductive health care, we're also talking about, you know, the health system, a system broken by years of underfunding with a pandemic heaped on top of that. 
for women to have free and accessible abortion, we need to actually challenge the politics of capitalism, which is a system that will always sacrifice healthcare for profit, for imperialism. You know, we need to demand money being redirected from submarines and so-called border protection to the healthcare system. We should demand better and cheaper contraceptives, better and cheaper trans healthcare. So trans people have the right, the right to choose if they want to medically transition without the prohibitive cost. I might leave it there and I'll hand over to Virginia, but we stand in solidarity with you in the US in, in your fight to you know, build, build working class power and claw back some of those, those rights that we need to defend here as well. Thank you comrades um, for having me and thanks for that great introduction. I think that the internationalism is important, but I guess one bright spot is that it's making activists in other countries take a look at how women and girls healthcare is and, you know, using this moment to, to resist and fight back their own government's uh, repression. So that's a bright spot that I'm hearing during these international talks. Um, I wanted to start out by giving you an update on what's been happening in the states, and then we can get go into more of like the summary of things and and you know how this came to be. But even just recently, there's been um, just horrible cases popping up in the news. So a top Louisiana Republican is leading a charge to delay New Orleans flood mitigation money due to the city council's stance on abortion. And New Orleans also just happened to issue a flood advisory yesterday. Uh, what we're seeing is Louisiana's Republican Attorney General has now twice led a push to temporarily de deny the city of New Orleans a $39 million line of credit for a flood mitigation pro project because the city's officials spoke out against the state's extreme abortion law. In Florida this past week, this might have made international news, courts decided that a 16-year-old girl was not, quote, sufficiently mature to decide whether to terminate her pregnancy. This is a girl who's in the foster system and doesn't legally have parents and requested the courts to allow her to have um, an abortion. Um, even before the toppling of Roe versus Wade, the prosecution of women suspected of purposely or accidentally ending a pregnancy was on the rise. There has been a movement to use state laws on child endangerment, feticide or murder to arrest women whose pregnancies ended prematurely. Reproductive rights lawyers say that this is just what's going to you know, come as an onslaught with the uh, toppling of Roe versus Wade. 39 states have criminal laws giving fertilized eggs, embryos and fetuses the status of separate crime victim. And, you know, this can open the floodgates to massive overcriminalization of women and girls. There are still more than 4,450 federal crimes on the books, as well as tens of thousands of state statutes that include things like conspiracy, attempt, and accomplice statutes for when women and girls abort their pregnancies. Already, about 1,300 women have been arrested or charged in the U.S. just between 2006 and 2020 for their actions during pregnancy. And that's three times the amount during the 33 years prior. Uh, in Texas, a 28-year-old woman was arrested and charged with murder for self-induced abortion. In California, a 29-year-old woman served four years in prison after giving birth to a stillborn son. And in Mississippi, a woman was jailed after losing her baby at 36 weeks after police found that she'd searched for ab abortion information online. So states are using laws to target pregnant people, and these laws were originally used to protect them, actually. 
Um, at least 38 states have laws that make it a crime to harm a fetus. And legal experts say that these laws were originally intended to stop violence against pregnant people. So now we're seeing also privacy concerns about the types of digital information that could be used by local prosecutors to make criminal cases against women in the future. Um, and it actually are happening right now. So we're talking about things like apps that help women track their periods and ovulation. They aren't covered under federal law that protect patients' health data. Facebook messages between a mother and her teenage daughter who had an abortion through taking a pill have led them to be prosecuted in Louisiana, uh, prosecuted for murder. So the Supreme Court's decision has led states to implement their own abortion policies, and it's resulted in a patchwork system that already existed and just has deepened uh, the inequities. Um, And this was anticipated. So access to to the procedure is for many people determined on whether the state is controlled by Republicans or Democrats. But let's just be clear, um, as was already stated, the Democrats are not providing the solution. Let's just take a look at the U.S. president, for example. Um, And and actually, in doing research for this talk, I was shocked at at how bad his positions have been. Um, it's It's a very mixed bag, let's say. According to the New York Times, President Biden has made it clear that he's uncomfortable even using the word abortion. In speeches and public statements, he prefers to use um, the word very sparingly, instead focusing on on phrases like reproductive health and the right to choose. For five decades previously, Biden has talked openly about the power of his religion, um, and that's guided him toward what he once called a, quote, middle-of-the-road approach to abortion, essentially not voting to limit abortion, not, but not voting to fund it either. But in his past, he was actually an outright critic of abortion rights. In 1982, he voted in favor of a constitutional amendment that was pushed by Republicans that allowed individual states to overturn Roe v. Wade. Two years later, 1984, he voted to praise the Mexico City policy, which was decided by the Reagan administration, and that prevented funding of abortion services abroad. And for years, Biden declined to join other Democrats in opposing the Hyde Amendment, uh, a federal ban on funding for abortion, which made it more difficult for low-income women to access safe abortions. It was only in 2019 that he reversed himself after facing intense backlash within his own party. As vice president, Biden fought to exempt Catholic institutions from the Affordable Care Act requirement to provide coverage for contraception. American Catholic bishops opposed this, and Biden tried to make their case. And like other Democrats in his generation, Biden used the existence of Roe v. Wade's protections to avoid pushing for legislation that might have enshrined the ruling of federal law, and we wouldn't be where we are today. So this ineffectualness of the Democrats and politicians in protecting our basic rights signals yet again how we need to build mass movements to maintain, protect, and win back our rights and freedoms. In fact, it's actually the neoliberal politics of the Democrats that allows for women to be pushed into poverty with an inability to access abortion and reproductive care in the first place. This corporate party absorbs, neuters, and de-radicalizes movements in an effort to build a larger voting base, not to create the change that we need to see. Over 60% of people in the United States support abortion rights, and what we've seen is literally just a handful of individuals have overturned the will of the majority of the country. But as is the case with all of our rights, abortion rights have never simply been granted by politicians. 
a movement has always had to force them to act to support our reproductive freedoms, as with all of our other freedoms. It's no wonder, because this isn't about a fabricated culture war, it's a class issue. Abortion rights are workers' rights, and you won't hear this analysis in any political candidates' campaign materials. The ruling class is actually torn between needing women for free childcare, raising the next generation of workers, and needing their uninterrupted labor in the workforce. So maintaining what is considered the traditional nuclear family today, even though it really doesn't fit with reality and how many of us live, that uh, farce is still vital for the ruling class. The notion of family still plays an essential economic and ideological role that just simply controls us as workers. And one way the right maintains this construct of quote family values is by eliminating abortion rights. Despite the contradictions, the ruling classes don't want women to control their lives and their bodies fully. And this is why LGBTQ rights is a threat to the ruling classes and we are seeing attacks on those rights as well. Our comrade uh, in the SWP in Britain, Judith Orr, identified how the increase of attacks on women's rights also coincides with the rise of the far right, which was allowed to flourish under Trump. She said, far right and fascist movements have long been associated with male leaders promoting subservient roles for women, enforcing traditional roles within the family and opposing abortion. The far right is on the rise across the globe and the gains made by women since the 1960s are in their sights. So case in points, Mary Miller, who is a member of the U.S. House of Representatives from Illinois, has said that the overturning of Roe v. Wade is a victory for white lives, and uh, she won her primary to be the Republican candidate in the elections. Um, but even before Trump and the present makeup of the Supreme Court, abortion providers were actually being murdered. Planned Parenthoods, the clinics uh, where a lot of abortions take place, um, and other clinics were, uh, were providing not just abortions, but education and contraception, women and girls healthcare and medical screenings, while all these clinics were being defunded and forced to close. This was before Trump. In the last 10 years, attacks against women's reproductive rights certainly ramped up. But in the decade before Trump, hundreds of anti-abortion laws were passed in states across the country. Patients inside the clinics were also being murdered and anti-abortion politicians were being elected in waves. Um, and Democrats, such as Bill Clinton, and, and like we talked about, Joe Biden, have only served to muddy the waters and slow or stop the militant popular resistance. Both Bill and Hillary Clinton's campaign slogan was safe, legal, and rare to describe their abortion policy. After Alito's opinion was leaked last December, though, after more than a million demonstrators protested across the United States, the U.S. Senate failed to advance a bill that would have preserved broad protections for legal abortion nationwide. Instead of seeking to mobilize masses of people, Biden and even progressive Democrats suggest that our anger at the Supreme Court be turned instead into votes for Democrats in the midterm elections that, that are happening soon this November. Um, and this is what, again, happens with the Democrats and de-radicalizing our movements. Um, they, they push us to go to the polls and elect Democrats who may or may not be helpful to working people. There have been protests across the country since the decision. We are seeing more being planned in honor of the 102nd anniversary of women's right to vote, which is next week. Uh, last month, more than a dozen Democratic members of Congress were among those arrested uh, by D.C. police as part of an abortion rights protest in front of the Supreme Court. 
Um, I think 34 people total, including 16 members of Congress were arrested at that action. And we've seen solidarity protests in other countries and that's what will be necessary to stop this attack on women's reproductive freedoms, building this mass movement that doesn't accept the ruling of five individuals dictating what millions of women and girls can do with their bodies and lives. Over Again, as I had said, over 60% of people in the US support abortion rights. And the right wing that is pushing this agenda is certainly not pro-life in any real sense. They don't think that black lives matter. They don't wanna put any restraints on gun corporations and children's access to firearms. And they don't care about working class women who die from dangerous abortions or migrant children trying to reach a better life, but who, who die trying. So many lives don't matter in the eyes of, of the right wing. And what we're seeing is reproductive rights are simply and surely a class issue so that the way to win the fight for these rights is to join together to resist and wrest control of our lives out of the hands of corporations, right wing judges and politicians. And there's really so much opportunity to build international alliances over this issue and alliances with other movements, such as the LGBTQ rights movements, um, since we see how the right will be attacking these communities next. We saw these coalitions among broad forces naturally forming in the recent pride demonstrations in the United States and elsewhere around the globe. I'm the executive director of the Coalition of Labor Union Women which is a constituency group of the largest labor federation in the United States, the AFL-CIO. And um, we have called emergency meetings to discuss the role of unions in resisting this ruling. Uh, we need to push resolutions through our unions, fight for language in our collective bargaining agreements to protect women and girls' access. Um, and we've also talked about general strikes and other workplace actions um, against this ruling. As you know, there's a fever of workers uprising and organizing in the states around basic health care um, and safety on, on the job, which includes reproductive justice. Um, and this worker resistance is helping to lay the groundwork and perspective of this latest attack being yet simply another attack on workers' rights. Workers are poised to take this issue on in their unions and they are already fighting for and winning provisions for health and safety, racial justice and respect on the jobs. So it's up to us to use our political arguments as socialists in getting activists from other movements and union members involved in the struggle, passing resolutions that commit union resources and mobilizing people into the streets. We can't let our anger be dissolved yet again into an argument to vote for any politicians. We can only win back our rights and freedoms as a mass movement and building that movement is a task before us because capitalism will always try to find a way to roll back any gains we make that empower us, any threat to their control. The only way to win true liberation for women with affordable access to safe abortion is to fight back against a system built on exploitation and oppression. And we can only beat back these attacks and win our worlds when we stand together in a global movement of revolutionary solidarity. Thank you.